out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy, but you're still the Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where people gather around a table and we discuss the films that will never come up in the course of a film studies class. This week's film is the Ryan Reynolds extravaganza, The Voices. We're very excited to be talking about that here in the studio today. And before we get any further, let's go ahead and identify these disembodied, perhaps headless in the fridge voices speaking to you all. To my left, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, I don't have a quote this week. Um, I, I'm going to continue to play with the format, and uh, I'm Dalton Stewart. Hi, how are you? Hi, I, I'm good. My name is Dustin Sells. We're, we're fine here. How are you? Uh, well, I'm going to wait in the car while you see if he's there, and I'll let you know by honking the horn. Thank you. Because I'm a hero. Thank you. I, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about the voices. Yeah, which has got voices in it. Uh, we should probably tell you what that film's about, shouldn't we? We, we, we should, should probably tell you how this works. We should tell you how this works. This is how this works. So what we want to let you know, dear listener, is this is not a review podcast. It is an analysis podcast. And that, therefore, means we will bring analysis to the film, which does and will necessarily involve some spoilerage. And But we're going to give you a reprieve for that for the first couple thirds of the podcast. The way we do that is this. We get a synopsis from the voice of the Dalton Theater. And then from that, we give a quick thumbs up, thumbs down review. Much like reviews you might find on the interwebs, we will avoid spoilers for that. Then we will move ourselves into our gameplay, which may or may not involve some minor spoilerage from the film in question and other films that might be in its surrounding orbit. From that point, though, we get down to business, and once business time comes, that means we will be spoiling at that point. You have been warned. Therefore, without any further ado, Mr. Dalton Stewart, voice of the Dalton Theater, let's hear that synopsis. From Lionsgate on IMDb, a likable guy pursues his office crush. With the help of his evil talking pets. But things turn sinister when she stands him up for a date. That feels inaccurate. It does, because it makes it feel much more revengey than it, it is. It feels gross. Um, yeah, that, that's an incredibly inaccurate... Wow, Lionsgate, what up? Fuck up a synopsis on your own movie. I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that IMDb user Lionsgate is actually somebody that works for Lionsgate and not uh, just, you know... Somebody with a bad username. It's definitely more of a teaser kind of synopsis because it gives nothing away. That's fair, and I do appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so this is a movie in which Ryan Reynolds plays a, a, a meek but nice but definitely troubled guy. And um, he starts having a crush on a girl, and also another girl has a crush on him. And um, his pets talk to him. And yeah, and there's murder. So yeah, I mean, that, that's it. Yeah, fair enough. Well, what do you think of uh, The Voices? Dalton, I think it's a it's an interesting film. Um, I, I don't think it's a, it, you know it, there's a reason it didn't set the world on fire when it came out, but I think it is a perfect streaming film. I think it is it is the perfect let's watch something I've never heard of uh, because I don't, I don't this movie kind of did go under the radar. It didn't get a huge release uh, despite uh, its cast, um, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the film at all. I, I, I think it, it moves uh, well. I think it, it's got a very 
uh, assured visual language um, that that I really appreciate. I, I think some it makes some really interesting choices with the way Jerry's inner life is presented. Um, I think Ryan Reynolds is ex- extremely good in the film. Um, I, I, I really uh, his voice work uh, as the voice of his uh, pets is is quite remarkable. Uh, it's it's quite good. Uh, I think. I mean, at the end of the day, this really is a. Uh, a showcase uh, for for two people. Um, th- this is a showcase for for the talents of Ryan Reynolds, uh, and it's a showcase for um, for our filmmaker. Yeah, I think I, I tend to agree with that as well, Dalton. I like the movie a lot. Um, I did think it was paced well. I think it held its secrets just long enough and mm-hmm. not too long. Mm-hmm. I think it did an excellent job of uh, balancing that comedic tone with some of the sadness and also horror that accompanies its subject matter. It does exactly what a dark comedy ought to be doing. I think Ryan, Ryan Reynolds kills it as... as pretty typical for him these days i mean he's, he's quite good he's good stuff um I, I know there are people who who don't go for him and i get that but uh, I, I by and large find him very charming yeah i like him a lot um but you know the charm for me is anna kendrick all day every she's day she's great I, I i just love her she's 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 fabulous yeah and all the things that she does mm-hmm. and you know and the obligatory singing from anna kendrick does happen mm-hmm. because yeah. uh, i believe she's contractually obligated to sing always and anything she ever I, does I, I think that's correct yeah I, i've read that somewhere no, yeah no I, that's that's I, true. I entirely made that up uh well well, scientists have actually discovered that if Andrew Ken- Anna Kendrick does not sing, um, that uh, glo- global uh, water futures take a hit. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. I just yeah. thought the world would just cease to exist. No, it, it will keep going. Okay. But we're, we're just all dead. <laughs> we're having fun. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this, this film has a lot of tonal shifts that are quite daring, uh, and, and it, it navigates them pretty well, I think, all things considered. I think uh subject matter considered um i think the film does a a really remarkable job of not being a gross i i think it's um it does its best um to to present a a character whose actions are quite vile um without um really moralizing um but also simultaneously while moralizing again it's it's a lot to navigate and i i think the film does quite well you and i were talking off mic though um i mentioned already that other than for ryan reynolds this is a showcase for the director marjan satrapi uh, yeah she's um, great marion yeah marion thank you marion satrapi uh who uh, wrote uh and uh who created the graphic novel persepolis and also adapted it to screen um so you know quite a talented person and and i think uh, she, she does quite a good job here but we were talking off screen uh, and said that, you know, despite having a, a female director, we do feel like it, it definitely from feels like it's coming from the voice of a dude a lot of the time. Um, and, and again, the, the screenplay uh, was by an uh, American guy. Well, uh, and the main character is a guy, and it's yeah. inside his head that we live most of the time. So, I mean, that yeah. does, to an extent, make sense. It does. Uh, but but I, I'm kind of inclined to agree with you. I think because it does come from a male's point of view, both on screen and, off, you know, behind the scenes, um, I think um, what Stravi does is she does mitigate that to some extent, and I think she makes it a much more nuanced. Um, but it definitely does feel like it's coming from the point of view of a dude and not always in a good way. Uh, when I was saying it feels like it's coming from a dude's point of view, I did not. That's not a compliment. I I think it hurts what the film is trying to do sometimes because it's not always as nuanced as it could be uh, with its its – uh, attempts to to tackle some some very heavy things, including um, nice guy syndrome, um, you know, polite misogyny, um, cultural misogyny, 
cultural stigmas towards mental health and uh, mental health treatment. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's some pretty big stuff to tackle. And I think the film knows that it's tackling that, but I don't know if it always succeeds. There is one moment where it does sort of manage to evade this, and I'm sure this is the trapeze uh, direction that is pointing towards this, though the monologue is, of course, probably written by the screenwriter. And that's the longish uh, sort of speech given by the uh, psychiatrist uh, later on in the film, where she also— Played by the incredible Jackie Weaver. Jackie Weaver, who—I love Jackie Weaver for days. But she uh, does this great job of, of talking about how people do hear thoughts and hear voices, mm-hmm. and the, the thoughts and voices that she struggles with, and that you know, knowing that they're not true, and it's not a, it's not a situation where you where they stop happening, where you stop having them. You learn to live with them, and you learn to think differently despite them. And the way that she airs her own insecurities as a woman and just as a human being, I think is is really kind of brilliant and uh, very very sort of delicate and nuanced in a way that I think Satrapi sort of comes through in that mm-hmm. a little bit more than another place in the film. But for the most part, as you say. It's it's dude stuff. Uh, it's about a dude. It's written by a dude. And that's all pretty clear, I think, throughout the course of the film. And again, uh, sometimes, in my opinion, I don't know about yours, to the film's detriment. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that's fair. Um, but, but again, um, I, I think you're right. I think uh, that, that monologue from, from uh, Jackie Weaver's character about, you know, just, you know, it might not be a Bosco and Mr. Whiskers, but we do all hear voices um, in, in some way. And I, I think that you're right, that, that monologue towards the end of the film is, is quite remarkable. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the scenes where Jerry's by himself with uh, Bosco and Mr. Whiskers. I'm a really big fan of all those scenes. I think they all work very well. Um, I, I'm a big fan of all of the scenes. Well, without being too spoilery, um, I, I'm a big fan of all of the scenes that Ryan uh, has with Andy Kendrick's character um, following his brief relationship with Jim Arterton's character who Jim Arterton we have mentioned very good in this film as well I mean she's great in everything too um but I I think uh my favorite probably run of the film is after his attempt uh, at courtship with her um all the scenes that he has with um that that whole sequence of things with Anna Kendrick uh let's call it late act one early act two that, that range of time that's probably my favorite sequence in the film yeah, I, I like that a lot, too. I, I think I actually like it better after uh, what happens with Anna Kendrick happens. I, I, that, that, that's, that slow spiral that begins to occur yeah, is I probably, agree. probably my favorite section of the film. It is the immediate consequences of yes. that. Okay, yeah. I like the lead-up to that a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right. Um, I mean, I think overall, again, a, a very solid film. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. So there you go, dear listener. That's where our general biases lie. We're generally pro. We like this stuff. We like Reynolds. We like Kendrick. We like Satrapi. We like dark comedies. We like things that involve serial murder and mental illness. So these are all things that are sort of in the Dalton Dustin wheelhouse yeah. anyway. You've been listening to the show for five years now. You you know the, the, the topics that interest us, and, and this is certainly there. It's doing all those things. So we, we generally dig it. Um, we're having this conversation about a thing that we generally dig that we might have watched anyway but the reason why we're doing this is so that we can have a conversation together on mic with you all and we want you to be part of that conversation and we have uh, put together several social media social media outlets by which you could do that dalton is going to tell you about them right now 
Well, first and foremost, you can find us on uh, Twitter. I shouldn't say foremost. They're all equally valid. I just don't use one of them. Twitter's more valid than anything. It's for me. I'm not a big fan of this it's new It's the redesign. president's primary means of communication. It is the most valid. You've you seen this new layout they got? I don't care for it. I'm not a fan. Yeah, it's like new Coke. It's terrible. Um, but we are still on Twitter. I will continue to use it because it's where all the, the hottest content's at. That is at good underscore trash on Twitter. That's all things good trash media. Um, you can catch up with um, some of the, some, some dead center 2017 tweets. Um, you, you can go there and get a link to our, our last show. Uh, th- this this one's coming to you week late because we went to dead center film festival and we recorded a. Some fun, you know, on-the-fly interviews. Or not interviews. We didn't do any interviews. Reviews. Reviews and recaps is what we did. Um, So, yeah, go check that out. Uh, You can find that content on iTunes. Uh, You can just search Good Trash Genre Cast. Or you can go to GoodTrashMedia.com. You can find that that episode either way. Uh, And then, finally, we're on Facebook. Uh, It's Facebook.com forward slash GTM, as in Good Trash Media. Uh, So those are the places. Rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and all those other wonderful places where you you gather potty potty tent potty tent potty tent for your pod tent pod tent pod tent that's podcast content pod tent yes i'm a hit maker (laughs) i tell you i i you know i'm sick of listening to this i think it's time to play the game time to play the game time to play the game That's right, dear listener, and this week's game is Actors, We'd Like to Be Our Hallucinatory Friends. Oh, that's right, Actors, You'd Like to Be Your Hallucinatory Friends, brought to you by The Voices. The Voices. What does it say about Ryan Reynolds that the hallucinatory friends are him? Uh, that he's crazy. Well, that I, I think they wanted to give him a, a chance to really, you know, stretch his legs. Yeah. But also, yeah. Well, he had to fight hard for that. They were gonna, they were gonna cast other actors. Were they really? Yeah, he had to. Send, I missed that. He had to send tryout tapes to Satrapi and finally talk her into it. Talk her into letting him do the voices of the yeah. animals. And he made a strong argument that if these are voices in my head, they should be my own voice. They might be disguised, but they're still mine. That's interesting. And so, yeah. I mean, thematically, I think that's that's a really good decision. I think, uh, you know, that that's a good uh, lead actor uh, director collaboration. I think is sometimes you've got to talk through uh, character decisions with each other. Furthermore, Mr. Whiskers, uh, the voice is actually based on a longtime friend of Reynolds, um, who's from Scotland. Jerry. So. Oh, Jerry. It's, oh, I like, I like Mr. Whiskers. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very funny. You turn to Liam Neeson sometime when you do that. Uh, yeah, which is, you know, different country. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> here's my favorite thing. I know we've talked about this before. I, I've told you my favorite thing about Liam Neeson, right? What's that? Uh, it's uh, American Liam Neeson. Hello, my name's Liam Neeson. I am definitely not from Ireland. <laughs> That's American Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that definitely he has a difficult... I'm just thing. growling a lot because that is how Americans talk. <laughs> He's, he, he struggles with it. It's weird because he doesn't even have that strong of an accent. That's He's funny. got a pretty, like... Uh, you know, his, his brogue is not that thick, and yet his American accent's just so bad. It, it really is. It's, it, it, it belies what a great actor he is, how bad his American accent is. But nonetheless, what we're going to do with this week's game is we are going to talk about actors that we would like to be in the same way uh, that uh, Bosco and Mr. Whiskers are sort of the 
angel in red pajamas and then the darker angel on uh, the two shoulders of Jerry. Uh, who we would like to see be uh, people filling those roles, serving as friends, giving us advice, speaking into our minds. Yeah, much more positive friends, obviously, than uh, well, Jerry's maybe, probably. Maybe I've got some nefarious picks as well. Okay. Because, you All right. Know, well, hit, 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 me, hit me with it. Well, I'm going to start with my good pick. Okay. okay which, which probably some might use for a bad pick because of their moralization and the fact that they're um, fundamentalists and they need to get off themselves. But um, I think my, my first good angel pick would forever and always have to be Snoop Doggy Dog, without a doubt. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I would love to hear Snoop yeah. just saying, no, nah, bro, you just got to chill. Um. That's really so. Uh, my first choice is also a, a cat, uh, and it's Keanu, um, because uh, the, Keanu the cat in uh, the film Keanu, uh, right. starring uh, Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key. Um, there is a sequence, spoiler alert, in which they do have a vision of the cat Keanu speaking to them with Keanu Reeves' voice, and I'm about it. Yeah, uh, you give fun. me a cat that sounds like Keanu. Um, that's awesome. Now, would Keanu be the good and positive influence yes, in your yes, life? Yes, Keanu would be the good and positive influence in my life who would encourage me to go outside more. Okay, yeah, well, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I think another positive influencer uh, voice I'd like, because of the multiplicity of voices sort of following in the Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. tradition, uh, would be just all of Robin Williams, particularly Robin Williams as the genie from Aladdin. Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that at all. Dustin. No, I don't want that. <laughs> None of that. You, you you don't want soft Robin. No, no, no. Yeah. I, want, I want bombastic Robin. Hoo-ha. Yeah, that sounded like Pacino. It did a bit. Yeah. Uh, Hoo Yeah, I didn't mean, didn't mean <laughs> to do that. So uh, that that would be my next pick for something of a positive pick. Do you have any negative picks, like people who you would like to to encourage your rage, people who would encourage you, or just people who just get on your case because you're too small to, you know? Kevin Spacey. It's Kevin, Sp- it's Kevin Spacey. <laughs> no. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. No. Because of his his uh, his strong legacy of uh, voiceover and fourth wall breaking, um, definitely K Space. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. it speaks to that small, that petty, that vengeful, that gross. That gross, um, power-hungry, uh, approval-hungry uh, monster that I think lives inside of all of us. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, Kevin Spacey's made a career doing that type of role for a reason. Um, I think he's quite good at it. Yeah, the, the voice I have in mind now would be one who belittles me but is also trying to push me forward in ways I mm-hmm. want to be pushed forward. Okay, but, okay. but belittles me to do so. Gotcha. And that would be Samuel L. Jackson. Always. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. It's funny you say that because I was thinking about that. Yeah. What are you doing in bad, motherfucker? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm picturing what? it. Hit the snooze bar again. Hit it again. I dare you. Yeah, no, I, 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 exactly. I get exactly what you're saying. Sam, Sam's going to put a fire under your ass. You know, he's going to make you chase it. Work work for that dream. Yeah. Ch- yeah. Chase chase those dreams. So so, uh, so you're, you're talking about a positive pusher. That's, I, that's, I that, that's sort of like an in-between, you know, okay. chaotic good yeah. in your life, I suppose. Well, you know what? Um, we, we went, uh, let's, let's pick up. Uh, somebody that's worked with the old K space. Let's go, Alec Baldwin, giving me a little uh, always be closing. Mm, uh, yeah, you know, calling me a loser, um, and then I got to prove him wrong. You asshole. Yeah, that's good. I think the one telling me to do the bad things has got to be a little seductive about it, right? Okay. It's got to be a little bit... I knew you you were going to go here. ...appealing to my intellect. uh Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, you know, and Uh and trying to find ways to say, Uh no, this is really what you want. Mm -hmm. This is who you want to be. You just need to go Mm -hmm. ahead and give into it. And it's going to be Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, okay. Speaking these words to me, I think. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to, uh, I was thinking about, um, characters who, who are positive to other characters. And, um, I kept coming back to Carrie Coon, um, who I, I absolutely adore and everything I've seen her in. Uh, but in both, uh, the leftovers, um, and Gone Girl, she she kind of serves as the the voice to the protagonist to remind them that they are being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the leftovers, she she has, brings such a complexity to that because she has all of her own baggage. baggage. Uh, and I think what Carrie Coon brings to those types of roles is uh, a place of real emotional honesty. Um, and sometimes you need that voice that that's encouraging you, that's emotionally honest with you, so you can be emotionally honest with yourself. Um, and also. Uh, She's just awesome. She's great. She's got a good voice. I think I like uh, the the way she speaks is very interesting to me. No, I like that too. Uh, Lastly, I just wanted to name the sort of you've done it again, Dustin. Mm -hmm. You done messed up again. Mm -hmm. Well, look at look at look at you now. Look at you. Look at you now, you fool. Yeah, and that voice um, coming up again from last week is Sam Elliott. Yeah, yeah. Well, done it. Done it again, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, For me, my my you did it again voice um, is English. Okay. Oh, bit of a bit of a fuck up there now, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. You done fucked around a bit, hadn't you? Um, Went liver puddly in there at the end. Uh, I don't know what happened there. Um, And I don't know who that is for me yet. I got to think about that some more. I think there's some very obvious options. Uh, Maybe a Gordon Ramsay, Uh, not an actor. Oh no. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you know, I haven't found it yet. I haven't figured out who it is. Uh, Although Gordon Gordon is Scottish, but. I'll have to think about who that voice for me is a little bit more. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are some of our selections for uh, voices that we would like to have in our heads. If we could have the opportunity of picking the voices in our heads and perhaps the things that they might say, which is probably not the case for most people. No, most certainly not. Um, I think that's uh, as good a place as any to get down to business. I think so. That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is, as always, analysis. And I think there are things to be said about this film. We were talking a little bit off mic, and I think what Dalton and I both have to say probably overlaps quite a bit. And Dalton, you were saying off mic, I'll just go ahead and just pass the baton Mm -hmm. to you to start us off. What are you thinking about this movie in terms of analysis? Well, I, I think this movie is trying to do something that is quite difficult, which is to say, hey, that empathy thing you're supposed to have that for everyone, even when it's hard. Um, and, and I think that's what this film is trying to do, is it's trying to take something like American Psycho and take Patrick Bateman and make Patrick Bateman a likable guy. Um, yeah, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, and, instead of a capitalist obsessed with status um, and and dominance, um, it, it's a, a quiet guy who wants to lead a quiet, normal life and wants to be nice to people. Well, and doesn't no, know how to interact with others. Nobody ever thinks they're the villain. No. Nobody ever is intentionally going, you know what I want to do is I want to be the bad. Well, I say that no one. It, it, it's, it's pretty rare. It's much rarer than people who are trying to do the best they can fucking up really bad. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this film, as we mentioned, does its best to thread that needle. Uh, and I think it's quite successful at times because, again, we, we are presented here with uh, – th- the very short career of a very accidental serial killer. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a fair analysis. It's yeah. not long, and it's not, yeah, he didn't but, really mean to ever. No, but he definitely is a serial killer, without a doubt. He fits the, the, the pattern and the definition. Um, and, and the film is asking you to have empathy for Ryan Reynolds in this film, and it's asking you to understand him. Now, when I say earlier that this film is definitely written by a man and feels like it's coming from a man's perspective, it's because it's asking you to have empathy for a man who's murdered a bunch of women. Um, and yeah, it's asking you to have empathy for someone who does violence against women. And, um, you know, especially right now that this is a conversation where we've been having a lot over the last, I would say 18 months is conversations about, um, a male dominated, uh, society and culture that frequently depicts and condones violence against women, uh, whether, uh, implicitly or explicitly it does. Um, and trying to, make a film that that humanizes and empathizes the perpetrator of that violence is something you're never different time maybe different time uh when it's an issue that feels much closer to being solved yeah right now it's kind of it's a lot harder to to pull that off and i don't know the film always succeeds in pulling that off because as i said it's a very difficult needle thread and in the context of the film, it works very well, but I think as soon as you take a step back and start thinking about it, it doesn't quite hold up under scrutiny, uh, I think is the real issue. Yeah, I think that's totally fair uh, because I mean, there there is this, this misogyny that's sort of at the root of everything that he's doing. You yeah. Know, you, can't, you cannot escape that. This, and it's the kind of misogyny that uh, – um, puts people in cages and pedestals. Um, that, that kind of that kind of benevolent misogyny that that comes from a, a place of good intent, but does not make it any less toxic or um, damaging or vile than than more blatantly um, out and out misogynistic uh, feelings or behaviors. Right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there, there's a weird way in which. Um, all of the uh, killings themselves sort of center themselves in a moral universe. There is something of a punishment. That Fiona was blowing Ryan Reynolds off. And so uh, despite the fact that that's not directly why, she is in some sense being punished for that. Anna Kendrick is throwing herself at uh, Ryan Reynolds. And so there's this, you know, this sort of a slut-shaming thing that's going on with that. Allison is a busybody. And uh, so the, you know, these are the three victims. And it's it's it, it's it's sort of it feels in that way. It, yeah, exactly. It ha, it has a uh, it, it definitely feels like it's moralizing to women a little bit uh, at times, and that's gross. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really really not a fan. The thing that I really loved about it is how uh, Ryan Reynolds's perceptions themselves are just dramatically different. Big fan from of that reality. Uh, the first time that that happens is really almost like halfway through the film. Is um, we cut to the way Anna Kendrick sees Ryan Reynolds' apartment, and it is gross because he did a murder. Well, he didn't do a murder there, but he dismembered a body there and he didn't do a great job one. of cleaning up. Yeah. Um, and uh, just put her in Tupperware in the fridge. Well, there's a moment before that where he goes off or goes on to his meds, 
You know, that's the thing. Yes, is, that's is, right. Is the meds prevent him from seeing the beautiful world the way it is, you mm-hmm. know, or the way he likes to perceive it? And and when he wakes, uh, when he sort of uh, takes the medication and goes into something of a stupor and wakes back up, and as he looks around the room, his pets are no longer speaking to him. Mm-hmm. He does see some of the squalor. There's there's fecal matter, you know, everywhere from the dog and uh, those kind of things all over the place, and it is pretty disgusting overall as a place. And so there is this beginning of this idea this place is just in crates and it's nasty. It doesn't look like this sort of nice bachelor's apartment. That's normally what he sees when he gets home. He says, I, I got a nice place. Uh, but when, he, when, when someone else finally sees it, they see it for what it really is. Or when he sees it on his meds, he sees it for what it really is. And it's really, really, you know. It's a nice touch. Yeah, it's disconcerting for him and it's disconcerting for everybody around him. And, of course, Anna Kendrick, when she comes in, he doesn't see how messy it is. He doesn't see how disgusting it is. And he also does not see uh, the sort of uh, decomposed state of uh, of Fiona's head. Yeah. You know, that he keeps in the refrigerator. That he sees her beautifully herself. She speaks to him. It it is not this rotting, decomposing head, which would not look like the person that used to wear it. No, no. No, not at all. Uh, the, The special effect of the heads is quite good. It's fun. No, it, it's it's it it works quite well. That's uh, used quite a fact. I mean, it's a very old trick, obviously, but uh, they do it quite well. What I find to be interesting, though, about this whole perception reality kind of thing is that when we start talking about people suffering from mental illness or people mm-hmm. suffering from addiction mm-hmm. and those kind of things, it oftentimes, quote unquote, normals will look at that person and their life and say, why can't they just get it? Why can't they just understand x y or z why can't they just make these good decisions why can't they say no to the bottle why can't they say no to these voices why can they not see reality as it actually is and 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 the fact of the matter is their perceptual perceptual sense of the universe is different from other people they are simply unable to perceive things which are both you know sort of social relational cues and, uh, and this is not a value judgment let's go ahead and say that yeah. right there this is it just is different the brains just simply do not work the same it, it it's not a question of you know whether or not this is a good idea or whether or not this is a thing i can do or what even a, you know going back to the addict sort of stuff it's not even a question of willpower it, it it's simply one of those things in which minds don't work the same there's a great great question Quote Leo McGarry gives in the West Wing, if I can West Wing for just a minute, about alcoholism. And he says, I don't understand people who can have one glass of wine for dinner. I don't understand people who can leave a drink, a drink half undrunk. That's not, that's of course, not Sorkin's words. No, those are mine. But a, a, a glass, half, you know, leave half a glass on the table. And leave. I don't know why people would do that. I don't know why people want to have just one drink. I want to have ten drinks. And, and that the description there is that he just simply does not think like other people do it, it, it's not the same mental process that he's engaging ryan reynolds is not engaging the universe in the same way everyone else does he doesn't see things in the same way that everyone else does and that is not always a bad thing but in his particular case because it does have some uh, highly antisocial and uh, you know violent tendencies that are a part of it it becomes something that's very very negative but it's not because he's a bad person yeah it's that he's unable to see reality in the same way as most of humanity. And I, I think what you said, is sometimes these, these things can be a good thing. Not letting um, the world constrict your viewpoint, right? I mean, these can be good things. It's when these things are harmful to ourselves and those around us that um, this becomes an issue. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a long tradition in literature and in film of the Holy Fool, which in some ways Ryan Reynolds' character cleaves very closely to that, that when he's out and about, he perceives sunshine and rainbows Mm -hmm. and butterflies. He sees a certain beauty and a glory and a harmony in the universe and that there are people like that. And yeah, I I think, yes, indeed, their their synapses are not firing in the same way that everyone else's does, Uh, but not necessarily do those people go on to violent or antisocial tendencies and in they, fact more often than not they don't they, they don't and and literature and film regards them again sort of again beatifies them in a sense as the holy fool and that's a good thing i i like that sort of thing and what this film does for me is it helps us draw a little bit more closely that which is the the most bestial the most anti-social the the most uh, psycho uh, uh psychopathic of behaviors yeah to to, to see that the line is very very close between that and the holy fool or the mystic or the shaman. Well, I mean, I think I think that's where I, I think it, it it would serve the listener for us to take a moment to say part of what's wrong with the voices is that it conflates the um, the the psychopathic, as you just mentioned, it, it, it conflates uh, psychopathy with psychosis. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of a problem because those are two very different things. Um, um an inability or an, a um, lack of understanding uh, of empathy is not the same as delusions. Those are very different things. Um, and, and I think film, I, I think media and even, even I would say some art, I, I would even go as far as to say not just mass-produced media, but also some art does often conflate um, violent antisocial behaviors um, with delusional behaviors. And, People with, you know, uh, paranoid delusions or just delusions in general uh, are, you know, people who suffer from very severe mental illnesses of these kinds of very severe mental illnesses are much more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrators of violence. And I think we as as a culture uh, in the West especially have a tendency to to misrepresent that, to represent people who – um, have delusions, paranoid or otherwise, as perpetrators of violence, uh, people to be afraid of, as opposed to be people to be empathetic towards and take care of. And I think this film is trying to say we, we should have empathy for these people, but it also fucks up in saying that, you know, people who uh, people who have schizophrenia are violent. And again, by and large, that's not the case. Um, I, there, there's statistical anomalies when uh, people with... Um, you know, any kind when, when people who have a, a psychotic break, which again, not the same thing as um, psychopathy, psychotic meaning psychosis, um, meaning, you know, you have a break from reality. Um, those people are much more likely to have something bad happen to them than do something. Uh, again, it's a statistical anomaly when somebody hurts someone else as a result of a psychotic break most of the time. Right, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I, I can confess this, I think, on air. Um, my mother did suffer from some mild schizophrenia, and along with her multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and I'm not you know, entirely convinced the two are not entirely related as well, but the research is continuing. And, and, uh, but, yeah, she saw things that weren't there. She had conversations that didn't happen. She, uh, yeah. she, she had significant breaks with reality. She would never have hurt anyone, ever. Yeah. And Ever. I and I think it's the responsibility of storytellers to some extent um, 
to to try and be discerning when they when you present certain things and i think it's our responsibility uh as viewers all of our responsibilities as viewers to be discerning and i think it's dustin and i's responsibilities as commentators to be discerning um and, and encourage thoughtful discourse with these things especially when the presentation on screen does not really match reality as it actually happens. I think it's our responsibility to point that out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other thing I would want to point out, and again, this sort of runs in this whole Venn diagram of mental illness things that we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the issue of taking one's medication, yeah, it, it, it yeah. you know, again, this is one of those things in which people simply say, "Well, clearly, the medication makes you better." And you're able to function more highly. You know, you're able to 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 do what you need to do. Whether it's medication again, that sort of helps you allevi- alleviate the uh, sort of withdrawal syndromes from addiction, or medication for say bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. or medication for you know full out you know sort of uh, psychosis that sometimes people mm-hmm. experience. Uh, those anxieties, anxieties, depressions, yeah. yeah, any any number of things. And you go, why don't? Uh, obviously, you are better when you take them. Why don't you just take them? And the thing is, is it doesn't necessarily feel better. Yeah, no, going on psychiatric meds is real hard. Um, I I think anybody who um, has puzzled over that hasn't really spent a lot of time talking to people who have had to take psychiatric medications because uh, it's real fucky. Um, It it can be real rough on your body. Uh, It can be real rough on your mental health. Uh, And then um, even if if you're able to get through a, a not great, you know, med start. And that's the real trouble of starting them because, um, a lot of the times, uh, a psychiatrist or mental health professional does have to throw a dart at a board sometimes when it comes to your first round of meds. Absolutely. Um, they're like, well, this is the thing that works for most people. Hopefully it works for you too. We'll try this dosage and this combination. We'll see what happens. And a lot of times it doesn't work out for the first couple of times. And if you're lucky enough to get through that really hard part, then you have to accept that you only feel better because of the meds. Um, because that's, that's a, a real hard, uh, cycle that is very common is, uh, people going off their meds because they feel better and losing sight of the fact that the reason they feel better is because they're doing a good job of taking their meds at the exact same time every single day. Not that all psychiatric meds rec- have that requirement, but, uh, many do. Well, that, and there's another side of that coin as well, Dalton, and that's the, uh, the sense in which, uh, the, the patient feels, uh, they feel actually worse though they're behavior is indeed improved yeah that they're handling they feel much worse though but they feel lousy and i think it's time to go ahead and remind you that dustin and i are not mental health professionals we are not uh dustin um but dustin and i both work in the helping profession for sure in different ways but we are not mental health professionals i do not have a master's i do not have a doctorate dustin almost has a doctorate but it's not in helping people it's in english yeah um so just for the record everything we are talking about comes from hands-on experience with uh, loved ones uh with mental health issues and um working with people who have mental health issues but again i would go ahead and remind the listener, Dustin, and I do not formally know what we are talking about. No. And again, what we're saying here, we're, we're really speaking to normals. Again, quote unquote normies. normals. Yeah, people who have not. I don't want to. I want to help them understand I, what's going on. The way, I'm about, the way I'm about to say this is not necessarily how I feel, but it's the best way to put it. People who have easy lives and only know people who've had easy lives. And I, I don't mean to discount the experience of normies uh or the suffering that you've endured because everybody's suffering is suffering but i think for a lot of people um they either fully they're either fully oblivious to this kind of thing going on in the world or they legitimately 
have just never come across it. And I, I think that's pretty rare. I think as we as a society become more open about talking about mental health, I think it's become harder to get into your adult life without being aware that these are issues. But I definitely think that I've definitely met people who don't really have a lot of uh, sympathy, empathy, or understanding uh, for uh, those who suffer from mental health issues. Right. And, and so my, my point being simply this. Yes, indeed, you can externally, objectively, perhaps in the patients, observe mm-hmm. improved behavior. But that does not necessarily correlate with the lived experience mm-hmm. of the patient while on medication. Yeah. All that they are feeling is either drained or too energetic or they, they, they feel everything has lost its sheen. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, I mean, they're, I mean I'm, I'm speaking about this broad swath of yeah. possible uh, mental health disorders that could be treated with drugs. Uh, and, and so the, what the exact uh, negativity of that experience is, but for them many times, yes, indeed, you may see that things are dramatically improved, again, in terms of behavior, social interactions, etc. but what they experience is oftentimes very unpleasant and very drab because it's not normal yeah. for them. Physically, very difficult. Um, you're, a lot of uh, psychiatric meds are going to make you make you put on weight and uh, mm-hmm. make your sex parts not work. Hey, here's the thing, that's a bummer for everyone. Yeah, nobody uh, likes that. Nobody likes either of those things. Um, unexpectedly gaining a lot of weight uh, is always going to harsh you out a little bit, I think. Um, and uh, not being able to to have a sexual release is going to bum you out. Um, straight up, your genitals just don't work sometimes on psychiatric meds. They just don't. And uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, nobody likes that. No. Uh, I, 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 uh, I know a lot of people who've gone through that, and uh, all of them to a one hated it. Yeah. So um, just because somebody seems to be doing better does not mean that it feels like a better life. And I think that, as, as we've mentioned, as we get back to the topic at hand, I think The Voices does do a good job of showing that, yeah, technically Jerry is better when he's on his meds, but the world is a lot harder mm-hmm. and it's 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 a lot to deal with yeah and that and that's why it's so hard for him to do what he does and why he ends up going down the uh, the bad road that he goes mm-hmm. down as far as the narrative of the film is concerned yeah and so you, you know I, I i again my my point is uh, this film i think is really really great insofar it's it's not you know medically sound it's not something that's been gone going through clinical trials it does not have the stamp of approval from the mayo clinic or john hopkins or anything like that but it does at least give something of a glimpse of the battle with medication mm-hmm. and the battle with perception and the 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 some of what's going on when a person is struggling with mental illness and how they perceive those mm-hmm. things and despite the fact that it does take things to 11 in terms of using uh again this sort of psychosis and a serial killer sort of situation this goes everything again to just sort of uh the, the, the depression that's sort of more garden variety that we see uh or bipolar disorder that we see in in, in, in contemporary life mm-hmm. and why some of those things are so difficult and also the the ways in which people try to find and manage their way through addiction and how that's a very difficult thing as well um i want to talk a little bit about the ending of the film do you, do you feel like uh the voices makes a case for uh redemp- makes a case for redemption for jerry at all um like as in redemption through suicide it kind of seems like that is it making the case I, or I, is well, it that's what i'm asking you what do you think i don't know that it does i think it just points out that what ends up happening is very sad 
that he and his mental illness and his decisions drives him to a place where he feels like there's nothing else that he can do. Mm-hmm. That that's really it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I, I don't know that it, it makes what he does to be redemptive, but I think it does point to what his uh, last hopes and wishes would have been for the world. That what he would gotcha. envision a heaven to be would be something like this, where I'm sorry for killing you all. It's okay, Jerry. That's the sort of thing that he would expect to see. And then doing 70s disco dancing with Jesus. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, which is pretty much my vision of heaven also. I, I think it's an interesting choice, right? Um, I, I agree with you. I don't. I don't think that the film makes the case that Jerry has been redeemed. I don't think this is supposed to be taken as a literal afterlife. Uh, I, I very much think it should. It, it is to be taken as an extension of everything we've seen prior. It's an extension of the way Jerry sees the world. Uh, it's how the, the the way Jerry sees the afterlife is an extension of the way he saw the world um, and the way he wanted the world to be. Uh, and I, I think it does – I think the film at the end of the day does not ever demonize Jerry, though. Um, no. Which is problematic. Um, you know, we, we have talked about uh, toxic masculinity uh, today a little bit. I don't think we've quite gotten into it enough. Um, I, I think we both were a little bit more interested in the mental health betrayals in this film. Uh, but there's definitely talk to be ha- – there's more talk to be had about um, – the the misogyny of this film and again this film is doing a lot of its misogyny on purpose um which can be very hard because depiction is not condonement right um but i i I don't because the film wants you to empathize with jerry but it also wants to show his actions and his behaviors as bad it often does look like condoning and and again it's a difficult needle thread i think i think uh, Satrapi and her screenwriter both know what kind of fire they're playing with. I, I just don't know if they successfully navigate it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I, I, I do appreciate the awareness of knowing what a dicey thing they're they're trying to touch. Um, and again, it doesn't always work because I do think the film wants you to like Jerry and Ryan Reynolds is so likable. Um, and again, he he's a, such a big star that he he has an inherent likability about him in anything that he does. Um, so that that's always going to color uh, a role like this that is dealing with some pretty, uh, well, uh, to quote Sam Jackson, who came up earlier, some fucked up repugnant shit. Mm-hmm. And it is. It is all of those things. So um, I, I enjoy the film quite a bit. I'm glad we got to talk about it because I, I kind of watched it under the radar um, when it shortly after it got its home media release. I remember hearing about it when it hit festivals and I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Um, and I saw right shortly after it hit DVD and I remember liking it and wanted to talk about it. Never got a chance to really, um, uh, Arthur Gordon, um, co-founder of this program really liked it. That's part of why I watched it actually. And, um, I'm glad that uh, we got the chance to talk about it on yeah, the show. Yeah, it's the first time watched for me, and I'm glad we watched it. Yeah. So that does actually bring us to our situation of a verdict. So we, we both like the movie, but the real question is, shell for trash, and Elser instead, as Dalton uh. makes that, that wincy face, because he is now on the horns of a dilemma, um, shell for trash for the voices, and then Elser instead, buddy. It's trash. It's trash. I didn't make it, man. It's okay. I know. I feel bad because I like a lot of things about it, but it's not. It's not the. It's it's not the perfect. It's not perfect. Um, I think there are films that do these things better. Uh, the first one I want to mention is the Todd Salons. Uh, I'm going to say classic. Not that I, I think any of his films are classic, but uh, the the infamous Todd Salon film, um, 
happiness with uh dylan baker and philip seymour hoffman and um oh my god twin peaks lara flim Bloyle, um mm-hmm. a huge cast uh, a cast full of uh some 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 true greats um i think happiness does a lot of what this film wants to do um ha- happiness is a much more nihilistic film than this but i think it is trying to play with some of the same fire right i mean this is a film yeah. uh in which uh you know with several protagonists but one of the protagonists calls strangers and masturbates uh when they answer the phone uh and the other one is a mm-hmm. full-on predatory pedophile Gross. so have you ever seen this film no i have not You've never seen this film oh man it's uh it's something else um happiness is it it's a rough one um but i also think it's a quite remarkable film uh, and I think it's doing some of the things that this film does a little bit better. I also uh, want to give some some love to Election, which I, I think, oh, yeah, yeah um, which is a film that I like quite a bit. Uh, but I, I think the strength of Alexander Payne's Election is it is also having a dialogue with the way our society often uh, treats women and um, especially just the way Matthew Broderick sees um Reese Witherspoon's character, Tracy Flick, I, I think it, it's really does a really good job of dissecting and also demonizing, um, for justfully demonizing, um, justly demonizing the, the ways, uh, in, in which we, we treat, uh, ambition in women and the way we try to fit women into boxes in our society. I, I think it does a really remarkable job of, and again, these are both being, uh, along with the voices, both of the films that I've mentioned, both being dark comedies. Um, I, I think they're kind of a little bit better of a fit for what we've been talking about. Um, so those were, those were two that came to mind all for me very quickly when I started thinking about, okay, what's a dark comedy that I feel like works better than this film? Uh, and, and those were the first two that I really landed on. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and stick with those. Okay. Fair enough. As, as better insteads. I think I'm going to say trash, too. I, I'm not sure I'd, I'd return to this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was amused, and it was cute, and I I really, really like Anna Kendrick. But, I, yeah, probably not enough for me, you know, to come back to. So I'm, I'm going to give it a soft trash. It's also. worth talking about. It is. It's definitely worth talking about. Um, in terms of other troubled dark comedies uh, that, uh, again, raise interesting questions and uh, may be themselves problematic, I, you can't do any better than Harold and Maude. Uh, just you know, that's that's a great place to go. The sort of obsession with death and all that's going on with it, and also the fact that this you know, nineteen twenty year old boy who looks like he's fourteen, every bit of fourteen, uh, is you know involved in a sexual relationship with an eighty five, eighty six year old woman, and uh, May December baby. It's something it's that, that January December we were talking yeah, about when it, we talked about the hero, but it's the other way, you know. Yeah, no, and, yeah. And so there, there's something interesting going on there, and I, I, no. I still, I, I, it's icky, but I still like it. Okay, I've never, uh, real talk, I've never gotten around to reading or uh, watching Harold and Maude. Okay, he does fuck Maude. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> It's perfect. Yeah. I, well, well, let me rephrase that. Mod fucks him. I guess would probably be. It's not on screen, but I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure it's implied. Yeah, that the relationship is implied to be absolutely. Sexual. Yeah, I've, I've always wondered that. No, I th- absolutely. I, they're banging. Yeah, for wow. sure. Okay, for sure. But it, I mean, he's, I'm he, a little bit more interested in Harold and Mod now. He, he, I mean, he's given consent. So, yeah, no, you know, for sure. But still, I'm I'm kind of all right. This is interesting. 
Um, I think my favorite dark comedy of all time, though, is more comedy than it is dark, but it's a little dark. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's sort of a great mix-up of, uh, of Strangers on a Train, which is uh, the Billy Crystal, uh, Danny DeVito film, Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, okay. It is a... It's a guilty pleasure of mine. Okay. I, I really, really like I don't Throw know Mama that I've ever the... heard somebody really go to bat for Throw Mama from the Train. <sighs> yeah, buddy. Yeah? Oh, I love crisscross. I've never seen a man. Your, 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 your references are falling on deaf ears. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, it's, it's fun for me. It, it, okay. And, and perhaps it just hit me at a proper time and a place. That's but it, fair. But it, it's a continued guilty, guilty pleasure that I return to. And I, oh, I wanted to name it because I think if I'd hit the voices at a certain time and place. This it, could have been that film for me. It could you. have okay. been one of those films for me. But it just doesn't happen to be that film for me right now. Interesting. Okay. So uh, there you go, dear listener. That's our verdict on uh, Shelf or Trashes, Else or Insteads, and what we think about Ryan Reynolds, Marianne Satrapi's The Voices. And uh, so it's a lot of fun. It's a good conversation. We're glad you joined us uh, for it all. We're going to watch a movie next week, too, though. And we're, we're gonna keep it funny. We're we're gonna we're gonna stay in uh, the the recent years, and um, we are gonna watch a film from a filmmaker that Dustin likes quite a bit. I love. Well, we uh, one of a pair of brothers we like quite a bit. Uh, anybody who has been listening to this show for a while um, should know that Dustin and I are really big fans of John Michael McDonough and his brother, um, whose name I'm forgetting at the, the moment, and I feel quite bad about that. Other McDonough. The other McDonough brother. Um, so I'm going to keep talking until I can get it ready. Uh, we're actually watching a John Michael McDonough film, so I guess that's the one that matters more. Um, but I actually prefer the other brother. You prefer John Michael, don't you? I, I, I wouldn't choose between them. I'm like a good parent. I love them both in different ways. Oh, that was clever what you just did there. I liked that. <laughs> I was very impressed with that. Well, you know, I am a real parent, so I've learned how to do this sort of kung fu before. Ah, I see. Well, uh, it's going to be a War on Everyone, which is John Michael McDonough's most recent film. John Michael McDonough being the writer and director of The Guard and Calvary. Um, which is a movie I love. A, d- a film that Dustin absolutely adores. I prefer Martin McDonough. Uh, that was the name that I was losing, uh, who did In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. But um, again, I'm a big fan of both of them. Um, I think uh, Calvary is, I'm also a relentless uh, supporter of that film because I think it's absolutely stunning. Um, but I'm I'm excited to watch War on Everyone. I like uh, Michael Pena a, a whole lot. Um, I like uh, Baby Skarsgård a whole lot. So um, it's going to be interesting. Um, we're going to do that next week, and uh, we hope you enjoy talking about it with us. Because that's what we do this for. We do this for the conversation because movies are so much more than just that 90 minutes in the bucket of popcorn. It's about the talking. So guess what? We'll keep watching. We'll keep talking. You keep watching. You keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. Good Trash Honor Cast is brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. Our outro music this week is Psycho Killer by The Talking Heads because, well, reasons.
Don't touch me, I'm a real live wire.